Hi, I'm Darren Wright. And I'm Tim Beadle. Welcome to Disciple Making. Welcome back to Disciple Making with Darren Ride and Tim Beadle. And today we're actually going to highlight some disciple making resources, books in particular, that have helped us and challenged us and equipped us in some way, and uh, books that we highly recommend that maybe you want to grab onto as a part of growing as a disciple maker. And so Tim's going to take it away with uh, one of the resources he selected. Yeah, and uh, just to let you know, we're not on commission for the resource that we're going to share today. Hey, the, the name Dan Spader has been around for literally decades. I'm thinking he must be in his 70s, you know, the Sun Life Movement and things like that. Um, I I came across uh, some of his resources, I'm thinking around three or four years ago, and it really, really challenged me and changed me because it finally made sense. Uh, we live in a resource-rich uh uh, culture where you just Google it and you got 500 hits on whatever. Uh, but sometimes if someone can recommend something that's been meaningful to them, you might want to take a look at it. And so uh, if we have time in this podcast, because you can start talking about resources and and uh, you just don't want to put it down. Uh, but the, the study guy called Walk Like Jesus, uh, who he calls us to be, has has radically changed my life in, in the last couple of years, and um, basically he starts off with uh, a quote from Max Licato when he says, "You know, what if for one day Jesus were to become you? Hmm. What for twenty four hours? You know, Jesus wakes up in your bed, walks in your shoes, lives in your house, and he, he assumes your schedule." And the the whole premise of this book uh, is based on. Uh, the verse in First John where it says, if you claim to follow Jesus, you must walk like Jesus walked. Yeah. And uh, because of that, that uh, Spader has taken, I think there's 10 or 11 segments in here. It's designed to be a day-by-day uh, -day study devotional. Uh, it's not intensive, but it's so practical that all the way through, I, I'm getting a highlighter and just underlining things. And and it's rich in in supporting everything that he says through scripture. And, and because of that, I, I just found this something that I couldn't put down. It, it's supposed to be a 10-week study. I did it in one week <laughs> just because oh, wow. I wanted to get through it. So, you know, when you start reading a book and then you put it down and you come back and you sort of lost the momentum and the vibe of how you felt, I just couldn't really put this thing down. And so you know, each week deals with a different uh, area of what it means to walk like Jesus. Uh, it talks about you know, his message and methods and his model and the summary of his life and what it means to follow him. And then then, then I got a challenge, you know, how real was my Jesus? Uh, and he goes theologically into, you know, was Jesus fully God? What about his miracles, his knowledge? And, and uh, what does it mean that he was fully human yet walked the face of the earth? And then it gets into, you know, Jesus and his relationship with the Holy Spirit, how he prayed. And also learning how to become obedient, because I know that's something that many of us struggle with. Uh, we see obedience as something to avoid punishment, but actually it's so much more than that. And Spader right. talks about when we obey, we are actually aligning and, and wanting to become like Jesus. And then he talks about the word of God and exalting the Father. And then the last three weeks, he talks about, in, and this is where the disciple making really kicks in. 
because he gets really practical. He talks about developing intentional, loving relationships, mm-hmm. getting out into the world and taking time to love people and uh, not discriminating between people who are friends or sinners or, you know, a- adversaries, as it were. Um, but then just starting to invest in a few. And, and he makes a big deal about how Jesus, how he loved everyone. He, w- he was very focused on just a few, not even just the 12, but, but you know, the, the, the smaller group there. Uh, that he spent a lot of time with them, and he didn't apologize for that. So that's those are the ones you go deeper, and then you basically uh, get into a relationship that you actually love people towards the kingdom. You care enough to confront if you see things that uh, are really hampering their ability to find Jesus. And then the, the last chapter talks about Jesus and multiplication, uh, what it means to bear fruit and much fruit. You know, in John 15, it says, you know, I've chosen and appointed you, that's speaking of us, Darren, you and me, to go and bear fruit, much fruit. This is to my Father's glory that you bear fruit, uh, showing yourself to be my disciple or my follower. So so uh, it's called uh, Walk Like Jesus by Dan Spader. Uh, and, and, and there is actually a free app you can download. It's called Like Jesus, Like Jesus. Oh, yes, the Like Jesus app. What a great yeah. app. And when you download that, uh, there's a lot of good free stuff in there, to be honest with you. And uh, it gets you engaged in uh, circles of praying for people at their different areas and levels of spiritual awareness and responsiveness. So, oh. so, so that that's the top one that I wanted to share today, Darren, called Walk Like Jesus. So sure. over to you. You got some well, to share as well. well. Can I just ask you one question there, Tim? I mean, you walked through a lot of the points. Was there Was there one or two of those points that really hit you between the eyes more than others? Like, what were, were, were the, the principles that jumped out at you the most personally? Yeah. Well, the introduction when, when he says, what, what happened if Jesus lived your life for one day? <laughs> that, that sort of got stuck me right into the book. Uh, the, the chapter on, on the humanity of Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. so often we sort of defer and say, well, Jesus was God, and that's why he did all this stuff. But, you know, Jesus set aside certain sort of privileges, as it were. He was fully God all the time. Mm-hmm. But he came to show us how to live a God-centered and God-focused life, not by clicking on the God switch when he needed to do something mm-hmm. miraculous, but by submitting to the work of the Holy Spirit in his life and in our lives so that we can do the things that he did. And because we have usually more opportunity, the Bible says you can actually do greater things, mm-hmm. uh, not so much in quality, but in quantity for sure. And then the last chapter on just what it means to bear fruit. And living a fruitful life. And I've shared, uh, you know, way back at the beginning of these podcasts, God convicted me early on, you know, five years ago, uh, which might not be early on in terms of my life, but I'd just been diagnosed with uh, uh, cancer, a chronic form of cancer for which there's no medical cure. And I had some really good heart to heart talks with the Lord. And He took me back to scripture. I said, How can I leave a legacy? said, why don't you just become what I've asked you to become, become a multiplier, become a fruit bearer. And it changed my life completely. And that last chapter just reinforced my commitment and compassion and conviction to make disciples and make disciples. Oh, oh, that's excellent. That sounds like a great read and definitely something worth digging into. Well, well, the the, what I've highlighted, chosen to highlight for today is an oldie but a goodie. And uh, it's The Disciple Making Pastor by Bill Hall. And uh, it was actually published back in 1988. It's when it first came out before I was a pastor. And I, you know, I flipped through it today as a part of just preparing for this, this recording. And boy, did it bring back memories. 
Yeah. And, and this this thing hit me between the eyes on so many levels. I mean, he he's a pretty hard hitting writer and and speaker and and, and personality. And uh, there's a there's a George Orwell quote actually in the beginning where he says, uh, "We have now sunk to a depth at which the restatement of the obvious is the first duty of intelligent men." <laughs> and and just and I mean that's so he sets up basically saying, "The obvious is we're called to make disciples and we're not doing it." And he basically you know, pulls no punches saying, here's what actually needs to happen. Uh, you know, any system for church organization that allows the unspiritual and disobedient to dictate is wrong. You know, and that just, he starts, you know, addressing church polity issues and, you know, internal structural issues. And what what I think is maybe helpful with, with this book for a lot of people right now is he actually talks about addressing it in an existing organization. Yeah. And you know, and how to actually do that, which is not easy to do, you know, and 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 maybe in you know in some ways bordering bordering impossible. But he actually says, here is how it can happen. But here's the things that need to be addressed, and it's not easy, and it's not pretty. He says the disciple making pastor spends the majority of time with those who are willing to be trained to reproduce themselves, hmm. with those who share the dream of the kingdom, who have the commitment to the cross who believe in multiplication as the commission methodology to reach the world. Kind of sounds like my friend, Tim Beadle, the whole issue of multiplication. And just basically saying all the things your average pastor is called to be and do, and then he has to carve or she has to carve out just a little bit of time to do disciple-making stuff. Bill Hall says, you got to reverse that. The bulk of your time as a disciple-maker has to be about disciple-making and giving yourself to those people. And uh, perhaps in one of the most you know, challenging segments of this book. He talks about the practices of the disciple-making pastor and the principle of selectivity. Hmm. And the principle of selectivity basically means you're not working the same with everybody, Hmm. that you're actually favoring some people over others. And he talks about why it's controversial, which we know why it's controversial, but listen to how he describes it. Why do churches object to selectivity? First, It upsets the balance of power, who has it and how they get it. Churches have operated for years by what is commonly labeled the good old boy system. The system esteems length of membership, faithfulness to the organization, willingness to serve, popularity with the church fathers, and a belief that everyone's opinion is of equal value. Selectivity threatens a system because it shows no partiality. And so, I mean, this is just a gut punch, you know, to certain systems where, it's very, you know, very political, very historical and personality driven. He's saying, basically, if you want to be a disciple maker, work with those who want to be disciples. Yeah, it's like what uh, Spader said, where you invest in a few. It's, it's the same principle. You have to become selective. And unfortunately, I, I really haven't uh, witnessed that throughout you know, 30 years of pastoring. When I looked around, it, it's sort of like... Um, Sort of, we just entertain to the masses, and we just try to keep and please everyone. But boy, this this would be a real uh, cutting a new swath if we really lived this out. It it would be hard. It would be revolutionary, oh. actually. Oh, and it's hard. Yeah, you. I mean, leading change is hard. And, and what he's describing here is a rework. And I really, you know, you know, my philosophy of even what we're doing with Twelve Church, rather than trying to, you know use old wineskins doing a whole new structure because it's so hard, but he does have a a chapter on making it work in the local church and talks about, you know, you know what he did or how he did it and and a basic plan to do that. 
And then, and this was a, this was where it was really nostalgic for me. He talked about a group called growth group, okay. which, which was what got me onto something called churches alive, which no longer exists years ago. And they had, they had this growth group methodology, which was a, a disciple making group, a closed group of a dozen or so people, 18 to 24 months, absolute commitment to come to every meeting apart from work, holidays, and sickness. And every meeting included evangelism training. It was basically about working towards reaching our friends together. And, you know, a lot of the seeds of 12 church came out of that idea. And it really, in our first church, we ran this a couple times. And to this day, I've said many times, it was the single best ministry I've ever seen in the life of the church as it relates to disciple making. Yeah. People who went through that, who joined us in that, became leaders in the church. They were passionate for evangelism. And I remember one of the the highlights of my (laughs) entire ministry to this day, where a lady who'd been through it and been training evangelism brought someone to faith. You know, she 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 was a brand new believer when we got there. She came to faith literally a week or two before we we moved to that church. So we walked with her through those opening years, and she came back and said, "The things you've been teaching us work," <laughs> and that was just so gratifying and so encouraging. And it really was about growth group, which was originally mentioned for me in this book, Disciple Making Pastor. And so uh, it's changed my ministry. It shaped the way I do ministry. It's feeding into what we're doing now with Twelve Church. And uh, I think some of the changes he talks about to actually implement in an existing church, very, very difficult. But for the personal pastor, I think to work over in your heart and soul, what you're called to be as a disciple-making pastor, I don't think I could recommend this book highly enough. Yeah, Bill Hull. Actually, I know Bill Hull uh, personally. He's a big, tall guy. He must stand at least 6'5". And I'm yeah. sort of uh, just over 6'2". And when I stand beside him, because I have met him several times, you know, I'm sort of dwarfed, which is kind of, he's well into his 70s. But the thing I love about Bill is that he's still doing it. He's still um, doing it. Several years ago, he uh, started a movement called the Bonhoeffer Project, uh, where, where, where cohorts of pastors and leaders gather. And I hosted one up here in Calgary uh, okay. like three, four years ago. Bill came up and spent a couple of days uh, with us. We were sort of locked together in a room. And then for a year, uh, th- th- this group worked on things that they could then translate into their own. So the first thing that Bill said to us, he says, gentlemen, because we're all men at that time, he says, welcome to the revolution. I'll always remember that. <laughs> and um, uh, Bill says, making disciples is what disciples do. That's the other mm. quote from Bill Hull that I'll never forget. Making disciples uh, is what disciples do. And so... You know, it, it's a challenge for us that we're probably going to have to relearn some stuff that we've learned in the past to make it work today. I, I think Alvin Toffler, I might have mentioned this before, he said, the illiterate of the 21st century won't be those who can't read or write. They'll be those who refuse to learn, unlearn, and relearn. And uh, that, that was that was just a wonderful description of a good tool. It doesn't matter that it was written in the 80s because it's based on principles that haven't changed. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, that, 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 that's that's a good one. I've, I've got yeah, that well, in my theory as well. And the thing with Bill is, you know, Bill's a practitioner. You know, he's yeah. got lots of great principles, but he's a practitioner. He always has been. You know, it's, we're, we're recording this in 2021. This book was published in 1988. You know, he's been in the trenches, a guy worth learning from. And I just, some of these people like Bill and others, I, I just hope that they're, teaching doesn't disappear when they're gone. 
Yeah. Because you know, there's some foundational things here that we still need to hear today. And I think Tim, probably, you know, uh, those two resources are probably enough for one shot. I think so uh, as well. A couple little book reviews and uh, we'd encourage people to try to remember to put the links to these books in our, in, in, or the titles in our podcast description. And if anybody's listening has outstanding resources, books or training on disciple making that you think we should hear about, we'd love to hear about it. That's right. This has been a joy. And, uh, you know, it's wonderful to have a bookshelf stacked with resources. But if you fall in love with one or two of them that work, uh, not only put them into practice, but find one or two others and invite them into a relationship and take an adventure in disciple making together. That's Mm -hmm. what I did a few years ago. And it changed my life. Because, um, boy, there's so much good knowledge in these books. But unless they translate into the heart and life of a disciple maker, uh, you're just filling up the shelves. (laughs) And so uh, get get the principles off the shelves and into your life and share them with others. And join us again for another uh, episode of this podcast, Disciple Making. I'm Tim Beadle with my friend Darren Wright. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to imakedisciples.com or ChristFollowerDNA.com. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts.